is Nancy Ketz, and I'm the Neisefeld President-Elect, and I'm Chair of the Neisefeld Colloquium. The format for the session today is a facilitated conversation. The panelists will be addressing three questions, and at the end of all of their responses to the three questions, the audience will be invited to ask them some additional questions on the topic. Panelists are reminded to speak into their microphones, and now it's my pleasure to introduce our panelists. To my immediate right is Mary Holmes, the first vice president of Neisefeld. She is a French teacher at New Paltz Central School District, and she was a former New York State Education Department load associate. She's the author of the New York State Education Model Program Self-Evaluation Tool. To her immediate right is Al Martino. Al Martino is a former New York State Education Department load associate. He was president of Neisefeld in 1993, Presently, he's the Instructional Administrator of Foreign Languages and ESL in the Gilderland School District, where his supervisory roles include all grades from K through 12. To my far right is Raina McGoldrick, and Raina presently teaches Spanish FLES in the Rye City School District. Her experience includes teaching FLES, FLEX, Spanish ESOL, and teaching English as a foreign language in Spain. She's worked extensively on Spanish and English educational videos for worldwide medical school programs, and she's the recipient of the, oh my gosh, you know that I don't speak Spanish, Juventud Española de Brooklyn. Does that sound good? Good for a French teacher, and it is a graduate study scholarship. She's also on the team that received the 2009 Nicefel Hahn Award for Outstanding FLES Programs in New York State. So let's hear it for our panel. The first question that we're asking them to address today is, what to you defines an inspirational language program? And Raina's going to start with that question. Um, to me, uh, an inspirational program is a program that is led by inspirational people from the top down, beginning with administrators who do the research, the legwork, um, visit other schools, visit other programs, and then bring that information back to their district so they can reap those benefits. Those administrators believe every bit as much as their teachers do in the importance of foreign language and the importance that it will have in students' lives and their futures. Um, those administrators also educate themselves, uh, find out what's going on in the field, keep current, and they enlist uh, qualified staff to carry out these programs. They provide them with the tools that they need, the necessary tools that they need to go out and do their job and inspire their students, therefore continuing the cycle. So from the top down, beginning with your administration to your teachers, the teachers then take that support and can run with it because they depend on each other. The administration cannot do it without a qualified staff, a qualified team of teachers, and the teachers, no matter how hard they work at it, without the help of an administrator or the support of the board, they're really at a loss. So those administrators take those tools and then they inspire their children. And how do they do that? They show that they're passionate about what they do. They go that extra mile, just like the administrators who believe in the program go that extra mile. And um, 
just they coordinate with classroom teachers, do whatever they can to tie into the program to make it as meaningful as possible for students and to make sure that students know that foreign language is going to follow them the rest of their lives. I think there's this uh, worldview that we unfortunately associate with the United States that we're ethnocentric and that um, foreign language is not a necessity here and um, I think that it's the foreign language teacher's job to make sure that this is completely eliminated and um, that students are inspired. Yes. Well, for those of you that weren't here during the last session, we heard a really inspiring uh, story from Joanne O'Toole, which really um, reminded me of um, what really makes an inspirational pro uh, program. And, and one of the things that I would say right off the top of my head is an, an inspirational program is one that really breeds acceptance amongst all um, within the department, which in turn translates to acceptance within the classroom. By that I mean um, I, I foster in my own program um, and support my teachers in every activity that they do. We have policies that we build together in which we accept and embrace all the children that come into our program. We do not, under any circumst <coughs> circumstances, differentiate, move kids in and out of our program. And I think that that's very inspirational. We accept children who come in who are special education, kids who are deaf and hard of hearing. We have children who have to have scribes at all times. Um, it, regardless, um, so an inspirational program to me, number one, first and foremost, is one that accepts all children. I, I don't care what they look like or what their issues are, if they're here only two days a week. My job as administrators, I, I work with my teachers for children who can only come in, so, you know, who have school phobias, who have other health issues, and help them to accept those children into their classrooms, and I provide them the support to do that. Um, another part of it is that an inspirational program, I think, is one where you embody or you encourage your own staff to become leaders. Because when you encourage your staff to become leaders within the department, then they can create programs for children that are really child-centered. Uh, an inspirational program is really a, a language program or a math program or a science program that is created around children's interests and children's needs. It is not one that's created around the textbook that you have. And it's not one that's created around, for those of you sitting here who are foreign language people, it has nothing to do with your verb paradigms. That does not make, you know, that your students can do the preterite tense by the end of Spanish too, to me, is meaningless. That is not, does not inspire children. When they leave your program, they will remember the teachers, the individuals that they had. They will not remember ever or minimally some of those other skills that we've taught them. Some children have different capacities. You have to realize that. Some will and some won't. So to me, an inspirational program truly is a program that supports teachers to become leaders, to create programs that accept children at every level, regardless of what their academic or social situation is. Um, and, and I do that as the administrator. I feel that that's mentioning the top-down approach. Um, my job, I always see my job in a nutshell as one that facilitates the teachers to teach. That's my job. I have to do what, what I need to do to make it possible for them to go in the classrooms and effectively teach their classes. If that means getting them textbooks, if that means getting technology, if that means talking with their students who are having issues in the classroom, if that means talking with my teachers who don't understand the way certain students are behaving, that to me is my role. As I'm there as the facilitator 
to help my teachers be the most effective people that they can be, which in turn creates an effective and a strong program. And an inspirational program is one that's not just articulated in terms of the grammar and all those other hideous things, but it's really one that is focused in on the student because after all, that's your job. It is not the verbs, it is the child. When you heard what Joanne O'Toole had to say, those of us that heard her, comp, her story before was about losing a child in a classroom, how that child thrived on the foreign language classroom and the impact that that loss had. We can't accept that. We have to become very vigilant to that, that we embrace all those children and all of their uniqueness. And to me, that's a program that inspires. When you walk down the hallways in, my, in either of the buildings in which I supervise, you will notice that those teachers are all there for those children. They may have foreign language things up in their room. They may have been celebrating fashing, or they may have been doing something Italiano, but they are there for those children. It's really about that co connection to kids first and foremost, and the vehicle is through the language that they teach. That, to me, creates an inspiring program. Thanks, Al. And Mary? Well, um, one of the, when I did work for the state, one of my favorite things that I did was I had the opportunity to visit multiple school districts in New York State. And there were some places you would walk in, and there was the uh, foreign language departments would have such an energy and community spirit to them. And you could feel it when you walked through the classrooms, and you could feel it through when you worked with the teachers. And, and I think there was a tendency, or can be a tendency, to say that it's because of um, uh, it just happened to work, or, or they were all just great teachers, or that it was something magical that happened. When I looked into how does this program really work, how does this department really grow, it really came down to some very clearly defined goals for the department and supporting the students and the teachers in the department then them so that they that would enable these students and these teachers to become inspirational and it often came down to making sure that students were supported that teachers were supported that their strengths were recognized and and acknowledged it was also having the basics, like making sure that, the, as was mentioned already, that communication was really clear. There were well-articulated uh, goals. There were well-articulated uh, points throughout the years that the students were in the, uh, in the foreign language programs. And this combination of making sure that students and teachers were well-acknowledged and encouraged and supported that students felt safe to, to experiment with the language, to communicate with each other, to communicate with their teachers. Uh, you know, I'm always reminded now that I'm back in the classroom about the wonderful opportunities we have as foreign language teachers because we do get to know our, our students on a very different level than I think any other department does. We have to speak and we want to speak to them. But a department has so many different moving parts so having clear communication, having well-articulated goals, having well-articulated uh, transitions between the, between the years all supports the learning of this student and the learning of the, the foreign language. I have one other comment to add because in my absence from school today, it happens to be a superintendent's conference day. 
I know. Wasn't, wasn't the timing perfect for that? <laughs> um, but uh, we have a foreign language cabinet in my district, which is um, I pull teachers in the, foreign la in the world languages from my elementary program for my middle and high school. And we get together and we do, it's an articulation thing that we do once a month. That we talk, cross talk across the, the levels. But the point is that right now what we're doing is very inspirational. And we, my teachers are brainstorming today, I hope, in my absence, to um, come up with, we've studied the idea of how do we teach culture for the past year? What is important about teaching culture? What are we doing about culture? And how do we articulate it? We decided that the, bit, the most fundamental part about culture is teaching cultural acceptance. And so and not cultural differences, but really the idea of accepting different cultures. And so they're brainstorming today and coming up with um, projects that we're going to do as departments for the fall semester in both my middle and my high school and my FLESS program, if it's still there, um, and um, which are going to be not specific to Spanish or French or German or Italian, which, the languages, which are the languages that we teach, but go beyond that. And I think that that's very inspiring because our goal is to try to help children recognize how they fit in the whole big picture culturally and how they're just one piece of the cultural window that we're looking into. And that was their goal today, is to come up with those projects that, that I will help to facilitate and implement. I hope they did. <laughs> and, that, and that is exactly what I'm talking about. So you've got, you, you as a department have looked have decided that you wanted to look at teaching culture and how is that going to help your students and how is that going to and how are you going to help your teachers so that mm -hmm. all of you can pull together to provide the best for your students and so therefore that working together that collaboration that interaction is what's going to help all of these mm -hmm. teachers right. all of them and therefore your students and we're going beyond the languages we right. teach we're going to it's going to be totally open-ended to all cultures in our district, which is extremely multicultural. Thank you. For our, our second question, this is actually a two-part question, and our panelists might have very different perspectives and may possibly stronger on one end than the other. But the question is, first of all, what challenges are faced by language programs today? And secondly, how does a, how does a district establish, maintain, and or increase its language offerings? And I believe, Raina, you gave a workshop on how to maintain and establish a program. So could you address okay. that for us? Wow. <laughs> In 10 minutes or less. <laughs> um, well, I can speak from the FLESS perspective. Mm -hmm. um, to establish a strong FLESS program, again, you have to start from the bottom up. Um, first, the administrators researched programs all over, uh, went to visit them, uh, read all the research that's out there, and they're biggest thing was trying to get the support of the community and the board members and in order to do that they educated them they as I said they got the research about what languages were being studied in other countries how many languages were being studied they found out what language would be um, most popular within our community and ran with that and then um, after that they went about hiring dynamic teachers who could really make it happen and also take the time to educate parents and show it through videos. We've had to give numerous presentations year after year because every year you're getting new individuals coming in who know nothing about the program or who know very little about FLESS methodology and have m some misconceptions about FLESS methodology. And these, again, 
if you just show them a glimpse into your classroom, these can be eliminated right away. And um, a picture is worth a thousand of words when parents see their children, sometimes children who aren't necessarily successful in other areas, succeeding in FLES, succeeding in a foreign language, they realize the importance of having that opportunity for their children. Um, after that, it's networking and articulating. As you mentioned, articulation is key. Our principal and liaison um, from the get-go made sure that all of the middle high school teachers were very much actively involved in setting up this program. So they knew what was going on. They knew how this would affect their program. They knew what type of program would be put in place, and they could offer their expertise as to how we should go about implementing the program. Um, they then uh, did some more networking and um, our principal also set up a, um, a liaison in the middle school who would come to our meetings and then report back to the middle high school to kind of just assuage any fears that they may have about how their programs would be impacted. We set up a committee with classroom teachers, elementary teachers, middle high school teachers, and discussed again fears about how it would take away from the classroom there's so many things that need to be covered every day in the general ed classroom and people fear well if you're taking away my time what are you taking out how are we going to be able to fit everything in we have state tests that we need to prepare our students for and you're taking away my valuable time and um, the, what, what we did was we made our program a content-coordinated program, and we showed the teachers. We sat down with the teachers. We said, okay, what are some major, uh, major themes in your curriculum that we can latch onto and that we can connect to so we can connect to your, connect to your students and also reinforce whatever it is you're doing? Um, we wanted to ensure them that we're not going to take away. We're just adding. We're going to add value to whatever it is you're doing. We want to do it as well, and we want to give the students an opportunity to realize it's so important that we're giving you a second opportunity to see it in another language. Um, so those are some of the things that we've been doing, but it's, it's, been, a long, it's been a long road, and um, we still have more to go. Um, and there's so many threats to our program or any program like it because, A, it's an elementary program, so it's not a mandated program, but B, foreign language programs in general, as you said, are just constantly under so many threats because, well, to begin with, again, um, less programs are the first to go because they're not mandated, but foreign language programs in general, music programs, arts, it's, it's the quick, easy fix when you want to take something away. Well, we have to take away from somewhere, so let's take away from what's not mandated as far as FLES goes. And then middle high school programs also suffer. Uh, most recently, there's been a proposal to do away with LOAT assessments, and that fear, for me as a teacher, when I hear that, I think, well, if you take away these load assessments, where's the accountability from the top down? Where's the accountability in, um, for the administration, for the school district, for the teachers, for the students even, to continue to uh, live up to a certain standard with foreign languages? Um, so those are some reasons that I think, well, 
those are some ways that we went about establishing a program and those are some threats that I feel personally and that I know other foreign language teachers feel are a threat to their programs. Thank you, and Al, can you add to that challenges faced by our programs today? You're asking the wrong person. Um, <laughs> you because, have a few ideas on that. Well, it, it's that my school district is under um, tremendous um, budgetary constrictions for the first time ever, 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 ever. We are not a district that normally has problems with the budgets. In fact, we're usually um, much, very forward thinking, and unfortunately, due to a multi-million dollar shortfall for next year, my FLES program is going to be cut. Um, but the the all is not lost. I am not. I refuse to be a person that sees the glass half empty, nor see it half full. I just see it as a glass that's sitting there, and now we're going to do what we have to. It means, you know, um, we're just going to move forward with that. It is a very difficult thing with FLES because you do have to, um, you're under the gun all the time with making sure that it's a high profile. Now, one of the things that I think is really important that, that has to do with the challenges, which bridges K through 12 language learning, is that we have to advocate. But I don't believe in doing the kind of advocacy work that many people believe. I don't believe in sending out posters. I don't believe in doing all of that kind of stuff. My point in being an, an, an advocacy is, number one, the teachers who are in the program must have clear goals, and they must be totally committed to what they're doing. They must be the best and highest qualified professionals that I can find. And if you ask anybody in my department, I, am, I scrutinize my candidates very carefully. Um, I call people all over the state, because you know, many of you know that I know you from all my different roles in the past. And if you have strong, and I mean very strong teachers, that to me is advocating for your program. Because as, again, I don't believe that you're advocating for Spanish or, or French, but you're advocating for good teaching. And when people in your school see that you have good teachers, they're less likely to want to cut them because you impact those students across the board. So to my mind, advocacy number one is important for foreign language, but I see it a little bit differently. Secondly, another challenge that faces the advocacy issue is I'm trying to organize in my school, have not done so yet, have not found a venue for it, but if you can in your school, I urge you to create a friend of foreign language group. Um, we have groups in all our schools, number one, you've got advocacy groups designed with, uh, around parents and sports, you've got music groups, but I've yet to see a school that has a foreign language group that's parent-driven, that supports the good work that the foreign language teachers do. And that's something that I'm trying to do <clears throat> to get the parents involved, and, and especially in the, in the elementary schools, because elementary school parents are really, they will come out. They are much more invested in the child's education than middle and high school, and I'm hoping that it will carry over with them. To me, that's advocacy, getting a parental support group. My FLUS program was driven by parents the entire thing, and I have parents screaming, and actually I have board members screaming, they don't want to let it go. But it, we are really being driven by a dollar sign, of which we've never seen this kind of deficit, and out of, it's a little bit out of their control, but they're still fighting to try to retain some something, and I'm there with them to help to hang on to that. Um, so the whole thing about being programs and the challenges we face, that's one, ad, that's one avenue, <clears throat> that's one perspective, it's the idea of advocacy and hanging on to them. And then I also think of, as an administrator, the other um, 
challenge that we face is that we are constantly asking students to perform. You know, foreign language is a performance art. It's a performance skill, K through 12. And I think sometimes we, we have to make sure that all the staff in my department are on line with that. They understand that they're, they're, we have to expect our children to perform in the language every day they walk in the classroom. There should not be a day when they come in and they just sit and they're only receiving information. It should always be that they are producing information in the target language and, and, and interacting and doing something. And that performance piece is sometimes difficult for some of our children. And, it's, and, and I have to make sure in my role that I see that as a challenge to help my teachers embrace that, that the child who doesn't want to participate or is too shy, being shy does not give you an IEP. There is not a 504 plan or an individualized educational plan for children who are shy. They have to participate as well. So we have to help them, and that's my job as the administrator, help the teachers work with the shy child who doesn't want to perform, because language is about performance. And one other thing that is a, um, and I, as you said, Nancy, <clears throat> as an administrator, we do sometimes look at things a little differently. One of the issues I'm faced with is being in a department where there is more than one Spanish teacher at the high school, I have eight or nine in the high school and seven or eight in the middle school or something, um, is the idea of common formative assessments because I really think that that's a way of strengthening your program is having common formative assessments. Um, and I allow my teachers that some of them want to do TPRS and some of them want to do this and that. You know, I'm there to help them and help them understand some of the strategies that they use or may or may not be effective. But I think in the bottom line is because we're such a big department and my kids will move between one teacher and the next teacher, they may have a teacher that speaks with a Castilian accent and they may go to someone that's Puerto Ricana. They need to be able to, the students need to be held accountable for certain things. And it's my job to try to help the teachers create formative assessments and that is a challenge. To get, we have a regents exam from New York State, we have a proficiency exam, and those are fine pieces, and those are fine outcomes, but in between there, what are we doing? And, and that is a, we struggle with that. That's a challenge that I face to try to make sure that we have common assessments that embrace both the standards and our New York State syllabus and the national standards, but then what are we doing in between to help those children to make sure that no matter what their teacher is doing, in the end, they're being assessed in, in a similar fashion. Thank you. And Mary, what do you see as the challenges and or how do you establish, maintain, or increase language offerings? Well, um, uh, first of all, I just find it so ironic that we're talking about cutting foreign language programs in this day and age. It just is a very frustrating thing. But we are. Every district is talking about uh, making cuts to, that I know of that is talking about making cuts to foreign language programs. I'd like to, to reiterate it's a lot more difficult for uh, a district to cut an extremely strong program. Not that they won't, because they will, but if there is a lot of parental support and if there is a community support for the program, it's, it's, not, it's just more difficult, it's more challenging for the school board to make that decision. So a strong program is going to be your best advocacy. A, a program where your kids are going home and, and speaking the language and speaking French to their dog and you know all of this kind of stuff is going to be what is going to make your parents feel like this is a viable program for, for them to support. The, uh, and so that's the first thing. But again, it always comes back to then how do you build a strong program? Well, you have a well-articulated program that, that, that has good communication between the different levels and good communication between the, good, the different 
the different teachers. I really, I just saw it so consistently, every place I've visited, every place I've worked in, that those, that, that open communication and well-articulated and assessing were going to be able to provide the format so that the teachers could do, become inspirational as well. Thank you. And for our third question, what is your dream for language programs of the future? And how can we make that dream a reality? Raina, dream on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My dream for foreign language programs for the future is, um, as you said, continuing to have well-articulated programs, but programs that are um, accepted and appreciated and a world where we wouldn't even consider cutting a foreign language program because we know the importance, the crucial importance of these programs. I look to Europe, I look to the rest of the world where they study two and three, maybe four languages, and that's the norm because all of their lives they grew up knowing the importance of it and all of their lives they've studied foreign language and I want our kids to experience that. I didn't have the opportunity to study elementary foreign language as a child and now I see my students and they're having that opportunity so I see the progression. I know that things can improve and I know that things can get better. Um, so I see students who who leave a foreign language program with the skills that they need to go somewhere else and use that foreign, everything that they have in their bag of tricks that students who are maybe one day, I, I, I hesitate to say it, but fluent, you know, uh, because we're held accountable to those standards, um, but students who learned from passionate teachers and are passionate about a language and can use that somewhere else. And um, I see programs that are well-articulated and um, programs that offer several different languages, not just the commonly taught languages, but less commonly taught languages. For example, now there's been a surge in Chinese and Arabic in some places around the country. I see that being the norm, that, that not being an oddity that they're offering Chinese and teachers who are well-versed in both their own culture, for example, if it's a Chinese teacher, somebody coming from abroad and being able to teach and balancing both their pedagogical style and our pedagogical style and our kids reaping those benefits. Our kids learning from, learning the cultural aspects and the linguistic ac aspects as well. So I see, I, I see a future where it's, as I said, not an oddity, but it's common for students to leave proficient and to leave feeling that they got, that they had an amazing experience in their foreign language classroom. Every teacher, you're saying that some programs have, the more, uh, the more articulated the program, the more uh, impressive the program, that's your best form of advocacy, having teachers who go above and beyond the realm. So if you have teachers that can do that, then I think kids will definitely feel that they can move forward and do that as well. I think we can all relate to that dream. <laughs> and Al, your version? Well, my version's gonna be from being a classroom teacher. I taught for 22 years before I went into state ed service and then from there into public school administration. This is gonna sound really corny, but my goal would be that all teachers are smiling in their classrooms. 
that all teachers want to be there, that every classroom is fun, that the goal is to touch the lives of all those students, not to necessarily produce subjunctive. <laughs> and lastly, <clears throat> and, I'm, and I'm really serious about this, and the pe people who know me, they know that I mean all this stuff from my heart. And also, I want to stop hearing the word core and non-core. I'm sick of it. It needs to stop. In New York State, if you're not from New York State, we talk about core subjects, non-core subjects. Are we? Aren't we? At the minute you allow yourself to say core, you are marginalizing yourself by virtue of providing the other. So you cannot allow that. It needs to not be a vocabulary word. It should not be articulated ever in writing, and it shouldn't come out of your mouths. We are for world language and culture. My department's called world languages and cultures, foreign language, whatever you choose to call yourself, we teach what we teach. And I will not allow it to be marginalized, and I will not allow it in my school to be talked of as core or something else. I'm entertaining a small battle right now, even though people are very positive. That's my goal. I don't want to hear it. That's my ideal world, is that we teach, we do the good things that we do, and we touch children's lives, and they take it with them forever. And uh, for me, again, maybe sounding a little corny, but I want electricity in my classroom. I want, when I walk down a hallway and I hear this teacher is showing their kids art, and this one is, because that's their passion. And this one's playing music because that's their passion. And this one's showing movies and films. I, I think one of the reasons I was so attracted to this field was because I thought, I can do everything I want. <laughs> I can study art. I can study music. I can study theater. I can study all of this with my students in the target language. And I can use my passions. And if I had my ideal classroom and my ideal department, I would want to say, OK, you love, I don't know, Impressionism. So you need to go with that and use that in your classroom because that's your passion. And you love film, so I want you to use that passion and the language and then the conversation becomes electric for your kids. And uh, that electricity, that's inspiring to me. That just gives me goosebumps when I, when I have that kind of, um, when I see that going on in classrooms. And then that, absolutely, if I'm excited about this, I love films, so, and I love music. And my kids know that I love films and I love music. And uh, so when I show them we do a new song or, or we watch a movie, it's not pretend for me that, that I'm loving this. And I have this luxury in my chosen career to be able to incorporate that into my day-to-day -day work. And I get to share that with people and my students and that's 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 a great day that's a great day and that's a great department that does that wonderful thank you um, at this time we'd like to invite the audience um, to present any questions that you might have either to the whole panel or to any individual on the piano uh, on the panel you're thinking talking music i'm thinking pianos <laughs> i will ask the responder to repeat the question in a paraphrase form so it'll be picked up by the microphones uh which we won't have access to from the audience but uh do let us know if you have some questions we've already been discussing an inspirational program the challenges that are faced how to establish or maintain a program and dreams for language programs of the future yes i, I work in 
probably the biggest school district in the state, New York City. And in New York City, each principal decides what support their kids are going to school through the budget. Where I am, I'm at the high school level. We have a pretty much strong foreign language program. But three of the middle schools that are feeder schools for our school, uh, actually, there are three middle schools that are feeder schools. Two of the three basically cut language completely out of their program, maybe one or two times a week. And there's a third school which is very strong. The principal is a, is a foreign language advocate in there. How can we get at the high school level where we can get all the students to be equally motivated when some have had a lot of access to, to the second language and in other schools where they haven't had any access or very limited access to the second language. Who wants to paraphrase I'll, I'll, that? You want to paraphrase In that? short, the paraphrase of that would be how can a high school program that is successful continue to be successful when the feeder schools coming into it have some children who have had a wonderful language experience and some whose experience has been cut off. How can you equalize or balance the, the approach of each of those students as they enter the high school level now? Did I do all right? Yes, you did a great job. And Al's gonna answer? <laughs> um, that's kind of a, a tough question to, be, uh, to pose um, to people who sat at the state education department right. um, because I'm not quite sure um, um, how to answer that, to be honest with you, because I think there's a perspective that Mary and I may have that probably this isn't the right forum for sharing that, yeah. but I'm gonna take a different stance on that. Um, first of all, I totally understand what you're saying. I understand the New York City schools, I understand how they work. I used to come down here and work in many of them, but I think um, if the department does have some way of articulating things, I think they need to look at their, their um, ninth grade they come in as ninth graders. What I would try to do is try to try to equalize things is I would focus on your ninth grade program. Number one, that's your transitional year anyways. Ninth graders are problematic in all schools. Ninth graders, I mean, what can we say about them other than dork burgers? And I think, and I think maybe focusing on creating a program that may have, um, that may be focused in on making sure they all have positive experiences in the language, whether they've had six months or not, but that might mean a lot making those ninth grade teachers, um, giving them permission to let some students in the class have um, differentiation so that they can move a little bit further. I would really look at that ninth grade program because I see that as the trigger. Um, if, they, if you give them all a really positive ninth grade program, then I think you're, you're setting them up for staying with your program and getting a chance to really experience all the good things that you have in your school. Right. What do you think? Well, I agree with you. And, but I would also go even a step farther because I think that you have a very difficult situation in with, with what you're having to accommodate. But I would also say that most ninth grade programs have the same to a less lesser degree maybe the same kind of issues. Mm -hmm. they, there is a mistake I think people, not everyone, but a mistake that can be made. Can you tell I work for state? A state <laughs> mistake that can be made. And when you look at a ninth grade class, and even if they've been in the same program, that they all have the same skills. Because I don't, I don't think they do. I will come with my ninth grade class and I have Susie Q over here who absorbed absolutely everything and she remembers absolutely everything and then I've got you know, this other girl over here who, who sat in the same classes but wasn't as successful. And they're both in my ninth grade class and they've both had the same exposure mm -hmm. but their skill sets are so different. And so I, 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 I would take that ninth grade idea and I would just 
put it across the board. I'd want to make every ninth grade program a successful program and so that these kids go on. Sure. You have some, you, it's a more, it's certainly more, um, it, it's clearer in your, in your situation, you know, that you do have some very specific needs. But I, I've got to tell you, I've been in lots of ninth grade classes with the kids that have been through the same programs and I have very wide skill sets between my students, so. Right. Right, right. From an elementary perspective, I can say that we get incoming students every year. So, for example, some of our students are in their third year of Spanish, and then some are coming in for the first time, where their where their uh, student where their classmates have had three years and they have had zero exposure to the foreign language before. So we have to do everything in our power to differentiate every single aspect of our instruction to make it so that it reaches all of them and so that they feel successful. Because God forbid they don't feel successful, the rest of their flesh experience will never be what no. it could be. And the, and the students, it, it really doesn't do anybody any harm as long as it, the information is being uh, presented in a different way to hear the same information again. So that recycling of information that they're getting, even though they may have already had it before, it really doesn't, it benefits all of them to, to have, as long as it's presented, not presented in the exact same way that they did in third and fourth and fifth grade or seventh and eighth grade, it really doesn't do them any harm, any of the students any harm to have, to have that exposure again. It just deepens their understanding. You'll have kids that are getting more from um, certain phrases or certain constructions that, than other ones do. Some are just acquiring a language on the very vocabulary level, but you have other students in the same class who are really starting to grasp more finer points of the language. So that recycling of information is beneficial to all of them, to all of them. Yeah. Well, thank you. We have a question for Sarah. <laughs> comment from the audience had to do with meeting the students where they are rather than leaving them behind. Thank you, Sue. Do we have another question from the audience? Yes, Deb.
that the best program for it not to be stepping on toes? How can you have to work with it or just fix that? The yeah, question asks, did you want to reiterate it? Or? Um, the question is how to create common formative assessments that are that really respect the individualized philosophies of the teachers involved and, and also just to get that act to happen because that is a critical piece. Getting teachers to do that is difficult. And what I'm doing is, um, in my own situation, uh, first of all, there is a value in doing curriculum mapping. Um, curriculum mapping is, is a buzzword all over the country um, and it, it does have value because it, what it does is it puts down in writing what teachers do. It helps to make the teachers articulate what it is that they teach and how they teach it. Because many teachers have, once you get involved in the act of teaching, you become so invested in it that you don't have time to step back and see what it is that you're doing. So that is one thing, is when you, when you have a common, when you have the, the mapping done, then everybody can take a look at it and see what are our commonalities. Now, having different philosophies within a department is a little bit, can be very problematic because what can happen is you splinter off, you have a lot of infighting, people who think their way is the only way, and, and, and if you're lucky to have a leader of some sort, then you can have someone who can sort that out for you because th that's what the common assessment does. In my mind, a common formative assessment gives that permission for Deb Carlson to do the kinds of, do whatever instruction is suitable to her. Teaching is an art, and each one of you, I'm going to tell you, I look across here, I see many different faces. No two we resemble each other, and no two teachers are going to behave in the same ways in the classroom, and their approaches are going to be unique, and I, I respect that. But common assessments will allow you to do that as long as we get to the same place at that time. Another, we decide as a group, I think it's very empowering to let the teacher say, this is what we want our children to be able to do at the end of this thematic topic. We want them to be able to do a presentation with the voice threading and a PowerPoint, whatever. And, and here's the rubric we're gonna use, blah, blah, blah. That's very empowering for teachers. And it also gives the teachers the, the freedom to get there however they want. Some of them are gonna drive a Hyundai, some of them are gonna, are gonna take um, a Mercedes. However they get there doesn't matter to me as long as they're smiling and the kids are smiling, seriously. And that assessment will be that final piece. So I think it's, it, it's, it's a, when, it's, when it's handled correctly, it really gives permission to individuality, I see. And that the assessment is really going to be, when you talk about well-articulated program, if you know what your assessment's going to be, your common assessment's mm -hmm. going to be as a classroom teacher, how each teacher does that, gets those kids to that assessment, really, we're not, that's why we're artists, in my opinion. We're, mm -hmm. we, how we, we guide these students to that point. But the key, though, really becomes that very well-articulated, back to that, well-articulated, what, what do we want these students to know and be able to do at this point? And that's where you really need strong leadership to say, how these kids got here, what they did, as long as this teacher's getting them there, mm -hmm. they're recognized that's the value, that's what they're doing. But you need to know what those assessments are before you start. You need to make sure as a department you agree on these, these what these outcomes and these goals are going to be. Uh, and if that's clear, then I think it can diminish the infighting. 
if you want to, if you want to call it that, the invited between. I think you had a question. Yeah, um, I've enjoyed this. Uh, would you mind to? I think you're onto something with your friends of foreign language um, idea. Mm -hmm. Would you mind to share more of your thinking with that, and perhaps the other panelists could maybe brainstorm well, as well? One of the things that we're thinking of. Well, uh, I know how to say she this. Yes, about the friends of foreign language. Oh, yes, <laughs> friends of foreign language. Got that, Ken? Okay. Les amis. Okay, here we go. Um, in, I, I mentioned that we're looking at a cultural project that is going to be done at the middle of the high school for the fall, hopefully, some sort of a departmental wide that will um, bleed into the, the whole school. And I'm hoping that that is going to be one of the triggers, to be honest with you. Um, my department doesn't know that yet, but that was kind of my thinking behind it, is that we're going to create some sort of a cultural thing that's going to engage the community in coming into the school somehow. Um, we're, we're talking, one group is talking about heritage, in other words, um, embracing every child's individual heritage where, and, and making it public, not just saying, oh, that's nice, you know, they don't do Aries, well, yo soy day, more than that. What is it? What does your family like? What, do, what, what can you tell us about your family? Interview your grandparents. Are they alive? Can you contact, you know, and bringing those people into the school. Um, I, see them, I see that the Friends of Foreign Language would, in, re, would relate to teachers going beyond the classroom, um, evening activities that bring them in. Um, we do a thing every year with my ESL department. We have a, believe it or not, in, in suburbia, we have the largest ESL population in the capital district in suburbia, not in the urban areas. And we do what we call an extravaganza, where the parents bring in foods of their own individual countries, and we have this huge, this huge thing. I mean, it's just phenomenal to see these parents come in. We, and now we've started asking them to come in in costume. Wear your traditional costumes. And that has started to take off with some of the Asian families and some of the African families. So that's what I see with the Friends of Foreign Language, getting parents involved, helping us to provide kids with more language-oriented activities. I don't even care what language. I mean, it is not to be based on what we teach, but just the idea of acceptance of others. And um, I don't know how we're going to really do it. I think the middle school teachers are going to have an easier job. Middle school parents still care more than high school. It's a little bit more independent. Right, the parents are more, they, they they've allowed their, parent, their children to be more independent. Yeah. But I, that's what I see, whether it's, we do international dinners, okay, that's nice, but it needs to be more than just once a year during the international week to bring the parents together and to showcase, the other pieces I didn't mention, showcase some student stuff. In other words, recitations, um, skits, um, karaoke singing, anything that shows the kids doing something and I'm going to buy a flip phone that I didn't have before because I attended Vicki Mike's session earlier, and I'm going to start capturing more of the students in their classrooms because I think that's I think that's really powerful. Does that sort of answer? I haven't got the I haven't got it done yet. But look at your um, sports group. What is the sports group called? Booster. The Booster Club. What the heck is the Booster Club doing? that they are so articulated and powerful in their schools. And they raise money, and those cheerleading outfits always are the bomb. They have the, <laughs> they have the most spectacular football out uniforms. But my foreign language teachers have to come in in rags. No, not really. But I mean, <laughs> they should be, we need a group that, are t that raises money to help foreign language teachers. We have a question over here first, and then here second. Is that could the Regency 
own file. So when they went to Chris, the, the, um, the teacher kind of complained what we had. So now we have a uniform for the whole district because we have two high schools. We have a uniform assessment for level two, for level one, so that everybody is mm -hmm. on the same level. So we do have, we have fixed The comment, the comment was about how a district solved their problem of the articulation within the different levels of their program by creating the assessments. We had a question over here. The comment from the audience piggybacked on Al Martino's story about the Friends of Foreign Language, and it was an anecdote about um, a, an international talent show that the participants participated in. Monday, it's very funny that you mentioned that. Monday, this, this coming Monday, my school has, the high school has what we call a cultural fair. It is not in my department. This was done by a social studies teacher. It's probably the 15th year. It is the most, I, I, I'm gonna tell you, stellar activity I've ever seen. Students take over the gym and they bring in from all over the different, wherever they're from, the different cultures, they set up booths and we have food booths, we have informational booths from Kenya, from Australia, from Great Britain, you name it, all over. We have performances all day long. We had last year, for the first time, we had the kids came from the different, different areas of India. We had this big Bollywood production. It was, to, the kids were just freaking out. It was so powerful to go in and see this. And unfortunately, see, it's during the day. And I don't know why, I don't have anything to do with it, but there are no parents, really, that come in. Some parents come in if their child is performing, but it's pretty much just for the students in the, in the high school. Of, we have like 1,900 students, so it's pretty much just for the students. It is unbelievable. I'm, I'm gonna tell you, my first year there, my mouth fell open, that these, the diversity that was there. But we need, what well, my goal is to take something like that and move it out, get the parents in to show what they can do, too. Diana. Can I just make a comment mm -hmm. to be back on that? Because you completely inspired an idea. We're having about 200 senior citizens coming to our district. We invited them in. And my sixth grade students will be performing in Spanish for them. And when I speak to them and address them at the beginning, I'm going to invite them to come in and share their cultures and their ancestors and you know, to trace back to where they have other languages and other cultures. In your background. So, thank you for that. Idea. 
we're always trying to connect with our community members and bring them in. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say that that was Diana Zuckerman who was mentioned. Diana Zuckerman, yes. something else. Don't you have another name I, now I, too? I and <laughs> and she was just commenting on how this has uh, given her an idea to um, with um, a project she already has in motion to bring in some of the retired people in the community into her classroom. That, that's a wonderful thing. We all have histories. Yeah. We all have stories, and I and I, that's you know what makes us all human. Do we have any other questions or comments from our audience? Well, at this point, I'd like to thank the audience for coming to our panel presentation. Um, if you'd like to know more about what NYSAFELT does, and we do a lot, please go to NYSAFELT.org on your website, and you'll find information, opportunities, upcoming events. Yes, yes this is my propaganda for the day. Um, tomorrow, we have two more panel workshops. The first one is um, Practices That Inspire, followed by the NYSAFELT Showcase. So you'll learn a lot more about what NYSAFELT has, among which is the Summer Institute at SUNY Oneonta. It's hot. That's not the weather condition. That's the title. It's August 3rd through 6th. Be there. And in October 15, 16, and 17, uh, Mary is going to be chairing the NYSAFELT Annual Conference in Rochester. And the theme of that is the I Generation. So please come to that. And finally, a world of thanks to Ken for doing our audio cast today and to uh, the expertise of our panel, Raina McGoldrick, Al Martino, and Mary Holmes. <laughs>